And so, as Eric mentioned, my name is Jeff Schleter, and I'll be uh, having the unique joy and privilege this morning of opening up God's Word with you as we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and we'll be reading all the way through the end of the chapter to verse 21 this morning. Uh, in your Bibles, you'll find the passage under the translator heading, Prayer for Spiritual Strength. And if you don't have a Bible or are new to the Bible, um, there's probably Bibles somewhere. I don't know where they are in the room, but somebody could probably help you get one. Bob knows where they are. Ask Bob for a Bible if you don't have one. Or get your, uh, your phone out. It's okay to go on your phone in church for this purpose. Get up your Bible app. Search Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 in the ESV translation, and I'll do the rest this morning. And so these past few weeks, I've, I've heard that you've been learning about how the gospel speaks to your weariness your anxieties, fears, and discouragements. The kind, the kind of burdens that weigh you down, that, that weigh me down, and trouble our souls. And this morning, we'll spend our, our time together not just examining Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, but really endeavoring to make it our own. Because it's a prayer for those who are tempted to lose heart. We see this in verse 13, just previously, uh, before the prayer is given, Paul is writing to the Ephesians saying, so I ask you not to lose heart over the challenges that they're facing in their day in the first century over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And today, this is a prayer for, for you guys and all the ways in which you might be tempted or are prone to lose heart as we live lives that are, are full of weakness and, and weariness characterized by anxiety, having fear for the future and what might be or what might be coming, disappointed expectations of how our life is right now, <laughs> struggles with our doubts about all kinds of things, about how, who God is and uh, how He is dispositioned, how He feels <laughs> about me. And even right now, maybe experiencing an underwhelming sort of experience of, of being God's people. This is what it is to be a Christian? This is what it is to belong to the church? Is, is this all there, there is? I don't have to convince you of that, I'm sure. In these past couple of weeks, I'm sure I've convinced you, but also I've given hope to you in the midst of that. But this is the life we live. This is why we need to pray a prayer like this, a prayer which is good news for those whose hearts are troubled. And so in Ephesians, Paul urges his readers not to lose heart, and then he prays this for them. And this morning, I urge you not to lose heart, and I make this prayer my prayer for you. Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. Because in whatever ways you're prone, you're tempted, you're right now maybe dealing with despair that I don't, I don't know the half of, but the, the Lord knows. There's a reality at the center of this prayer which can truly dispel your discouragement and fill your heart with comfort and with strength and refreshment. So let's read this prayer together and ask the Lord to help us lay hold of this reality today. Beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the great power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. These are God's words. We need God's help. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord, we come before you now and we're grateful that you've given this word to us. And Lord, I just, I just pray. I don't know all the ways in which this word might be the word for the people of Sovereign Grace Church in Orange today, but, but you do. And I pray that through this reality, at the center of this prayer, that you would meet them, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen and refresh and remind them, oh, of your love for them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, that you would grant me strength to serve them in the power that you supply, and that you would help us all to not just understand, oh, but to appreciate, to lay hold of, and to enjoy the realities that are before us this morning. And would you do this for the glory of your name and the good of our souls? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Question. Does Jesus ever seem far from you? Like he's up there or out there, out of reach and far removed from you. More of an abstraction and less of a, of a person that you can really know. Is he perceived by, by you as unwilling to draw near to you? Because you know as you look at yourself that you're a sinner and you, you think you disappoint him, and you fall so often so short of him. And why would he want to get his hands dirty by drawing too close to someone like me? Do, do you know the gospel teaches that he loves his people? You know that intellectually, but you struggle to believe that he really loves you. Or, or maybe it's easier for you to conceive of him, Jesus, as reigning in power, far above all things, sovereignly in control and directing the entire universe according to his great and grand purposes. But it, it's harder to believe that in all that, he, that one, desires to stoop down and to draw near to someone insignificant like you. In your mind and in your experience of the Christian life, is, is Jesus powerful but not truly present? This morning, if you have a gnawing sense that he's unconcerned about you and what you're struggling with and what you're going through right now, or you, you, you practically believe that he's distant, that, that, they, that he's irrelevant, that he's not really in it with you, when it comes to your experience of, of weariness, of fear, anxiety, and whatever else burdens your soul, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because our text, this prayer, when taken together with Paul's 
first prayer in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, this prayer becomes a wrecking ball, okay, designed to smash these doubts to bits. The amazing reality, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange this morning, that God wants to captivate us with today is that the same Jesus who was crucified for our sins and then raised as victor over sin and death and Satan was, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, the same Jesus who was seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. This same Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith. This same Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith. He who is utterly transcendent is simultaneously and unbelievably imminent with us. So this morning, to those who are tempted to lose heart, Paul prays that you would know the King of heaven is at home in your hearts. The King of heaven is at home in your hearts. That's the one big point, the one big idea that we'll be unpacking and walking through in the rest of our time together today. The King of heaven is at home in your hearts, meaning that he couldn't be nearer. He couldn't be closer. He couldn't be more willing and eager and able to draw us into his gracious, his loving, his soul-strengthening presence with us. The reality of this prayer is that He is in our hearts to fill them with comfort, with courage, and refreshing that's drawn out of the endless well of His own heart for us. And though as much as I wish I could be with you in Orange, as well as be in Santa Ana right now, worshiping with them, <laughs> I can't do that. But Christ can be simultaneously, church, reigning in heaven, upholding all things by the word of His power, and residing in our hearts to the glory of His name and the good of our souls. And so Paul's prayer, it explains how we experience and how we enjoy His presence with us. And we'll take it and we'll walk through it line by line in the rest of our time together this morning. And as we do, we're going to take it in, in three parts. They're not really points, they're just kind of little guides to help us uh, be aware of where we're at so we don't get lost. So, three parts. We're going to look at the introduction, the request, and the blessing. Three parts of this prayer that's before us here, and it's my prayer that as we do, we would step deeper and deeper into the infinite sea of Christ's love for His people. And that this, this reality, <laughs> the truth of what He invites us into would strengthen your souls and would place courage in your hearts as you walk through whatever is happening in your life today. And so beginning with the introduction, verses 14 through 15. Beginning with verses 14 through 15, Paul, he introduces his prayer. It's a prayer that he started back in verse 1 of chapter 3, but then he interrupted himself with this big and glorious digression. You can read it later. But Paul finally catches up with himself, gets back to the prayer he began. And we see at the outset the one to whom this prayer request is made. Paul prays to the Father of fathers. 
That is the God who, verse 9 says, who created all things, from whom, in our text, verse 15, every family in heaven on earth is named. Paul prays to this God and Father, and I say the Father of fathers, because his language here means that I'm praying to this God and this Father, that is the one from whom every family on earth and in heaven is named, that is the one from whom every family derives their existence, patterns their own expression and experience of fatherhood. Paul prays to the the greatest and the truest and the most powerful and benevolent father there is in these verses. In effect, he's saying, I'm praying to the one who created fatherhood, who wrote the book on it, who was always perfectly loving and caring and good to his children. To this one, I offer up my request. And what's more is that after identifying to whom the request is made, he Paul carries on by asking uh, how he, he would like the Father to fulfill this request. Paul asks him in verse 16, or excuse me, verse 15, no, verse 16, to grant this request, what, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. Paul is asking that God would give him what he's about to ask for, as one scholar says, that as he gives it to him, he would give it like himself, that God would give to him like he is, not grudgingly or in tiny portions, as if he were afraid to exhaust his riches or even suspected them to be limited in their contents, but that instead he would bestow according to the riches of his glory, that is, his own infinite fullness. And so in other words, church, Paul is asking that as God answers this prayer, as he responds to this request, that he would do so according to the measure of his own ability. That is, not even the measure of their need, not the measure of our need, as deep and as great as it is. We are needy people. But he says, no, 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 not even according to the measure of our need or the measure that I could think to ask for, but I want it to be, Lord, according to what? The riches of your glory. According to God's ability, Paul asks and he prays that this request would be answered in full for the glory of the Father and for the good of his church. And so to this father of fathers who is supremely able to give good gifts to his children, Paul bows the knee to request what I'm going to argue (laughs) is the greatest gift imaginable. And this brings us to that request, second part of our um, outline this morning, the request carrying on with verse 16 through verse 19. This is the, the heart of our passage today. What does Paul want for the Ephesians? What do I want for you? That according to the riches of the Father's glory, verse 16, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that what? For what purpose? That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. (laughs) We'll unpack it more later, but in this thoroughgoingly Trinitarian prayer, (laughs) Paul asked that God the Father might fill believers with his Spirit so that they would more, listen, fully understand, appreciate, and enjoy the reality of Christ the Son dwelling in their hearts through faith. 
He prays that we would, would freshly and truly grab a hold of as much of this reality as we can get our hands on this morning so that we can really and, and experientially and, and soul-changingly know, you know, really know, not just intellectually, but really know deep down the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and find our weary hearts filled with comfort and strength and as verse 19 finishes, all the fullness of God. So Paul asked for the greatest gift imaginable. He asked for God himself by the Spirit in the Son in us. And he asked for God's help for us to be able to lay hold of all that this means. So let's take it from the top of the request here and take in what Paul is getting at. First, Paul, he asked that according to God's own infinite capability that he would grant the church to be strengthened with his very own power in our inner being. (laughs) Meaning, we cannot do this on our own. We can't lay hold of the reality of Christ with us on our own. (laughs) We need some help. And so like we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, go read it later this week, uh, in his first prayer for them, in that prayer, Paul says, we need the Spirit's help. God the Father, send your Spirit to the church so that they could know the power of Christ at work in their lives. The resurrection power of Jesus, would it be known by the church through the Spirit? And here, he asks for the Spirit to come once again and help the church to lay hold of a great reality. We need the Spirit's help to strengthen us in our inner being, literally in the Greek, the inner man, which is, as one commentator puts it, the soul. The aspect of our being that cannot be seen, cannot be physically touched, but can be weak and feeble, can be strengthened with power, can be invigorated or infused with strength from heaven. So Paul prays that God would work in that unseen, intangible, but all too real and and true uh, soul, that that inner being within us by the Spirit. He, He asked that the Spirit would come in order that our souls might be changed, affected, and empowered to really and experientially and joyfully know what is most true about who God is and who we are. And so specifically here, he's asking for the Spirit to empower them that Christ might dwell in their hearts. In chapter 1, as I mentioned, he prayed that they would know the power of Christ, and here, by the Spirit, he's praying that they would know the presence of Christ. So we've got to take these together, the power of Christ and the presence of Christ by the Spirit as well. And listen, this morning, If Christ seems far from you, this aspect of of Paul's prayer, it explains how it is that he draws near to you. It's the work of the Spirit to bring Christ home to our hearts. And it's our dependence upon the Spirit to do in us what we can't do in ourselves that makes the difference in our lives here and now. And so Paul prays for the Father to send the Spirit to do this glorious work, and we are invited to pray it with him as well. And this is important. This is necessary because as pastor and author Dane Ortland writes, he says, the Spirit, he causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. He says the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen. Not just seen, but felt. And not just felt, but listen, enjoyed. 
The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart, and it moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. In illustrating this reality, Ortland continues. He says, it is one thing as a child to be told your father loves you. You believe him. You take him at his word. But it is another thing, unutterably more real, to be swept up in his embrace, to feel the warmth, to hear his beating heart within his chest, and to instantly know the protective grip of his arms. It's one thing to hear he loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. This is the glorious work of the Spirit, that we would feel the love of Christ for us in the midst of whatever is going on in or around us. It's like the difference between knowing that the sun is shining right now because you check your weather app on your phone and the little sun uh, emoji picture is there versus going outside or going into the garden and, and feeling the warmth of the sun upon your skin, upon your face. <laughs> it moves it from theory and intellect to experience. <laughs> the Spirit's work, church, is to bring us deeper and deeper in this way into the warm embrace of Christ so that we'd be aware of and enjoy His presence with us at the very center of our lives, which in the text here is our hearts. And in the Bible, the, the heart is, is more than just a, an organ or a muscle. I don't know the correct anatomical uh, word for it. You can help me afterward. But it's more than just a blood distribution center, right? The, in, in the Bible, the heart is the center of who we are. It's the seat of our emotions, of our thinking, and, and our willing. In the Bible, all our living, all of our loving, all of our, our doing, it flows out of our hearts. And so here, Paul, he prays that Christ would be at the very center of who we are, that he would occupy this primary space at the very center of our lives. And now, at this point, it's important to clarify, because it's not that Christ isn't now with us, or that he comes and goes from us. I hope you haven't gotten that effect from this prayer. He's not saying, Jesus, come, because you're not already there. No, no, no. Christ already dwells in our hearts through faith. For the Ephesians then, for us now, before I even came here this morning and started preaching this, he was already dwelling in your hearts by faith. This is true. <laughs> it remains constant, but our faith does not remain so constant. It goes up and down. It gets stronger. It gets weaker. And so we need the help of the Spirit to come and strengthen us and to strengthen our faith and to strengthen our grip and grasp so we can lay hold of this reality and be encouraged and comforted and changed by this reality. No, Christ already dwells with his people. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see that we have been united to Christ by faith and raised up with him in the heavenly places. Chapter 1 tells us in Ephesians that the Spirit has already been put upon us as a seal. He's already dwelling within us. This is already things, and these are already realities that are ours. We possess them. And so, Paul isn't saying that He's asking for anything new to come to us. Instead, he wants for us to know and to enjoy and to appreciate what is already true of us by the power of the Spirit. And so as Paul is asking for God to send his Spirit to help us step into this, he's praying not that Christ would, would come like he hasn't already been there, but he's praying particularly for what one commentator calls for the church to know, really know, what, he, what one commentator calls the constant presence of Christ the constant presence of Christ. And this is signaled to us in the text by a Greek word that is translated in our Bibles as dwell. You see it in verse 17. 
The word dwell is translated in the English from an, an idea, from a concept that is not a temporary stay, that it's not a passing visit. He's not asking for Christ to come and crash on our couches, right, for the weekend. <laughs> Instead, this word dwell and what it's translating, it refers to a, a permanent dwelling. It refers to the reality that Christ would really and truly make his home with us, make his home with us. And faith is the means by which this dwelling is known and experienced as we trust in the person of Christ and we constantly and joyfully receive his his presence with us. And so what he's getting at here for our encouragement is that Christ is not in a long-distance relationship, right, with his people. And some of you might know what a long-distance relationship is like as you're corresponding with somebody over uh, texts and calls and FaceTimes and Zooms or whatever else, and the difference that it is to have them be near to you via those, you know, uh, intermediate means, and to be near to you by being face-to-face, <laughs> being able to embrace them and hold them and be close to them. It makes me think of what my life was like before my wife and I were, were married. Um, she was here in Orange County, and I was in the IE, which, for those who don't know, that's the Inland Empire, okay? <laughs> why it's an empire, I don't know. People have asked me that, and I, I can't tell you why it's an empire. <laughs> but know this, okay? It's a land of lifted trucks and sprawling suburbia and long commutes to wherever you're going. It doesn't matter where. <laughs> but back before my wife and I were, were married, <laughs> we saw each other often. I would drive out to Orange County five to six days a week for college, for church, for all the different things we do for dates. But at the end of every date and at the conclusion of every day, I would head home to Corona. But then we got married and we made a home together. And we went from being regularly present in each other's lives to experiencing a constant presence in each other's lives. Going to sleep and she'd be there. Waking up in the morning, and she would be at my side. Together, in all the mundane moments of life, you know, doing laundry and dishes and going to the grocery store, and together, as good news came, bad news hit, and all the rest would happen and befall us in life. No longer were we coming and going, but we were there together permanently, dwelling in the same house, under the same roof, sharing the same life together. In church, Paul says here that Christ is even nearer than that. He is even nearer than that, even more than my wife is to me or I am to her, even more than that friend who sits beside you and is placing his or her arm around you and is with you in the midst of whatever is burdening you. Christ is even closer than that. He's always there. He's always present. He's always perfectly dispositioned and desiring to meet his people in love and he's never tiring of giving himself to us. He's dwelling in our hearts by faith, always there for us. In the most mundane of moments that we experience, God is with you. When we fall short in sin, God is with us in the Son, eager to meet us with grace as we turn away from sin and we turn to him. When we experience our times of delight, he is there as our greatest treasure. In our hours of testing and need, he is not far. He's always there. He's always present, and he's always close to us. 
This is the heart of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, and it's the reality that we need to lay hold of this morning because we're looking for this kind of constant presence, aren't we? And not just us, but everybody is. The world is looking for this kind of constant presence. We're all looking for this experience of of nearness, this constant presence to be with us. We're all looking for the peace and the comfort and the reassurance that in this life, we're not alone, that we are, are loved by someone no matter what, right? That we belong, that we are not insignificant. And we're looking for this experience, and our neighbors out there, your neighbors in Old Town Orange, are looking for this experience, but we're prone to seek it constantly (laughs) through screens, on social media, through viral movements and campaigns that make us feel like we're a part of something big, but we really couldn't be closer to the thing. (laughs) We, We seek it through wellness apps and moments of mindfulness and my watch tells me to breathe every hour or so because I need to center, right? We we, we seek it through all these means. We seek it through unhealthy and destructive dependencies upon other people and so many other means that cannot come close to the nearness of Christ through faith. And we know this, church. You know this. This nearness is not a given It's been made possible by what Christ did for us in the gospel. Through his perfect life, his substitutionary death and victorious resurrection, we've been brought near to him and brought near to God because we were not close. We were far, and he went and he found us. He preached peace to those who were far. He made peace with those who were far by bearing our sin, which separated us from God and his love fully and completely in the cross that we might come into the presence of God and not shrink back in fear, not be waiting for the other shoe to drop and judgment to be put upon us, not having to doubt the Father's disposition toward us because Christ, he took all the wrath we deserved so that all we would know is never-ending grace. Christ in the gospel, in his cross and resurrection, has made it possible for us to draw near and to be near, and we receive every blessing through this union with Him, through this communion with Him by the Spirit. And this morning, if you've never yet come to know Christ, if you have not ever entered into union with Him, you haven't placed your faith in Him before, I want to encourage you that this closeness today is something that is not too far from you. It's not too far from anyone. Christ reaches out And he calls and he says, whosoever will come, I will never cast out. I welcome you into my presence. I welcome you into my love. I sent, the father sent his son while we were yet sinners. While we were all running far away from him as fast and as hard as we could, yet he came, he bore your sin, he died upon the cross, he rose from the grave to welcome you into life. New, eternal, resurrection life that begins now and carries on forever. And when Christ comes into your heart by faith, we get a foretaste of what we sang about earlier of that day when our faith turns to sight and we'll be with him forever. And so this morning, he's not far from you, but he welcomes you to receive his nearness, to receive this constant presence, to receive what he's done upon the cross, to take away sin and guilt and shame and dirtiness and all the things that you think God will not welcome me in because of this. Christ has taken it and he welcomes you to take hold of him today. Oh, church, to all those who are weary or fearful or, or, or doubting, who are discouraged in heart, hear this. 
that Christ desires to dwell within your heart, to refresh you with his presence, and to lead you deeper into his love. Because as Paul's prayer continues here, this is the most wonderful mark of the way he's present with his people. And this is what Paul goes on to celebrate and emphasize in the rest of the prayer. Looking at verses 18 and 19, asking that the Spirit would strengthen us for this purpose, that you, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. Here Paul is mixing his metaphor, like a tree with deep roots in the ground or a structure established upon the firmest of foundations, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, as we think of Christ, that all-powerful one, coming to dwell with us by faith, what kind of presence does he come with? What kind of presence occupies our heart? But the presence of infinite love. The presence of infinite love. Because the dimensions here that we just read about, they're not meant to convey an actual measure. They're meant to convey that there is no measure. There are no limits to this love. You can't limit it. You can't define it. You can't say where it starts and stops and ends because it goes on and on and on. It defies our categories to fully explain. Christ is near to us with a love that has no limits. Christ is near to us with an infinite love that bore our infinite offense against an infinite God upon the cross so that we might draw near. Christ is near to us with an infinite love that is God's own love. A love that, bearing out the implications of it being God's own love, (laughs) is eternal. It'll never end. It'll go on and on and on and on and will ever increasingly come to walk in it and to bask in it and to enjoy it. It's a love that is unchangeable and unwavering for us, even as our own love for God is wavering and quite changeable. It remains constant, the love of God in Christ. And it's a love that it is effectual, as John Owen says. It always does good, or it always does the good for those um, that, is, that are beloved. Always does the good that is intended, because if it's God's own love, what do we know about God? He's in the heavens, and he does all he pleases. His word never returns to him void, and his will is never thwarted. It's God's own love, and if God desires to draw near, to bless, to comfort, to strengthen, and to change us, he'll do it. And we can be confident, and we can rest assured in that. Christ's love goes out to us, and it does a work in us. It's sympathy, it's care, it's compassion, but more. Because it actually, though it may not always change the circumstances around us, it does always bring change within us. It gives us what we need, the grace we need, the help we need, the refreshing we need to step into what He has for us today. He's with you, He's in it, and He's for you, according to His love. And He's with us to fill us with all the fullness of God. As the prayer continues here, that you guys all together as Sovereign Grace Church of Orange would Grab a hold of as much of God as you can get by the Spirit in the Son, that you would continue to grow in this love, that you would continue to ground yourself in this love, that you would continue to sing and celebrate and share this love with each other and with your neighbors. And if you're doubting this, you're not quite convinced of this, or you're unsure of this for any reason, let's just draw our attention to how Paul closes his prayer, and then we'll close out our time together. Paul says, 
Christ wants to do this. <laughs> he invites us to pray this prayer. Jesus is eager. He's now presently in your heart, desiring to draw you deeper into this love. And if you doubt it, look at the blessing in verses 20 through 20, 21. Listen to how Paul concludes his prayer. He wants us to hang our hats upon this truth as we make our offer of prayer to God as well. To those who doubt that God really desires to dwell with them, to the non-Christian who can't really believe that the holy and righteous and almighty God of the universe would receive them in love, pay attention to this verse. Because Paul says that as we ask God to be with us through what his son has accomplished in his death and resurrection, for the first time or the thousandth time, we make this request to the God who in verse 20 is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the great power at work in us. So we ask, how much does God desire to draw us deeper into his infinite love? Paul answers, more than you could ever know. More than you could ever ask, more than you could ever think, more than you could ever begin to imagine. God desires to dwell with you. He's moved heaven and earth, sent his son to draw you back to him. He took all the initiative. We weren't looking, we weren't asking, we weren't seeking. And now as we become his people and say, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you draw near to me? Would you allow me to rest in your love? How could we think for a second that he would be unwilling, that he would deny us, that he would turn us away? God is more desirous. He is more eager to be with you than you could ever be eager to be with him. So don't lose heart. Hang your hats on this. God is able to do far more than we ask or think, and immediately applying what we just read there in that blessing, we can be confident that God desires to be with us and for us and working in us in the midst of whatever is going on in our hearts, going on in our lives, going on in the troubles and trials that we're facing. And so Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, today, I hope, it's my prayer that you would be freshly confident through this that Christ, He is in you. He's with you and He's for you. And whatever you're facing, and that you would be encouraged that his desire is to continue to give and to give himself to you. The King of Heaven is at home in your hearts. <laughs> and he's given himself to us, and he's given himself to you all as a church that you might share in his love and with all the saints comprehend and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, I pray that now, once again, you would fill us with your Spirit, that we might grab hold of the realities that we've just heard, that, Lord Jesus, we might lay hold afresh, or maybe even some for the first time, of what you died to bring us into, that we, sinful as we are, might dwell with you, holy and righteous and beautiful and good and true as you are, that through Christ's death and resurrection, we would be welcomed into the kind of love that has no limits, the kind of love that never ends, the kind of love which is what we need most in the weariness, in the weakness, and all the things that burden us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us by your Spirit and your Son for the glory of your name and the good of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.